Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening. Folks, thank you very, very much for listening. First episode back in a while. The date today is the 12th of September, year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome to another episode of Shoot the J. Long-awaited episode. By long-awaited, I mean since the Milwaukee Bucks season ended. And as you can see by the title, that's what this is going to be about. This is kind of what you guys have been asking for. What I said was going to happen. Let's talk about it. Uh, You will be hard-pressed to find a scenario where I'm genuinely upset about the performance of a basketball team in a way that I think is going to be detrimental to their future. Uh, Where it's like on a game-to-game basis, you know, night by night, I can be like, ah, that performance sucked. That kind of made me sad. Um, But I worry about Milwaukee moving forward because of what just happened uh, in the playoffs, a cataclysmic meltdown. Um, You know, before the season ends, it's like we go into uh, this hiatus and Milwaukee lost four of their last five. And, And it didn't feel great because we had been spending all year talking about this team and propping them up and trying to explain to people. Uh, you know, why we think they're the best team in basketball and why, by the approximation of most, including myself, it wasn't close. You have the best defense in basketball. You have two of the best rim protectors in the league, the best individual defender himself, the soon-to-be two-time MVP, a former coach of the year, and an all-star sidekick, and an otherwise great supporting cast. All of the reason, and a great GM, pretty good GM. Not that that really matters down the stretch, but... At the end of the day, it kind of didn't feel great that Milwaukee flamed out a little bit before the hiatus happened because it was like, ah, that kind of sucks for momentum. But as soon as we get news, okay, like basketball, it's coming back. We're going to have this thing. It's a bubble in Orlando. They're going to play Disney World. It's I know it sounds weird, but we're going to have a champion, right? That's what matters. It's going to be a little bit of an unorthodox way to go about a regular season and subsequently the playoffs. But... We're going to have a champion, okay? Basketball is coming back. All right, cool. The Bucks are going to show everybody uh, what's up. And what's, like, this is this is the team. And it was evident immediately that it felt weird. I don't know if Milwaukee coasts that hard off of the crowd at Pfizer Forum because I, I do wholeheartedly believe or fullheartedly believe that this – all of this goes differently if they have that momentum, if they have that fan energy. I, I genuinely do believe it, and the same could be said about Miami. The same could have been said about Orlando, right? Like, a lot of these series go differently. Like, Portland doesn't win game one if it's in Staples Center. You know what I mean? Like, these, like this doesn't – everything goes differently. And it's it's entirely within the realm of possibility that Miami still wins because, as we've all said a hundred times – you know, if you, if you, I, Snell season said the same thing. We just spoke the other day. If it's like January, it's February, you're paying attention. You're looking at the Eastern Conference, and you know top to bottom, you're, you're feeling pretty confident that Milwaukee's going to kind of steamroll through the playoffs, right? If there's going to be any bump in the road, it's probably Miami, solely due to their ability to space the floor, distribute the ball, and ultimately hit from perim- the perimeter which is Milwaukee's Achilles heel. It's like the one thing that they just couldn't figure out this year. And when you dig your heels in and play a certain way all season in the regular season and refuse to adjust and play a different way in the playoffs, this is ultimately the product of that, is flaming out again for the second year in a row. That falls on Mike Budenholzer. And Giannis didn't really help either. Nobody really did. And we'll get to that in a minute. But you get into the bubble, 
And I also want to add, like, I knew that Toronto was always the second best team in the East. I genuinely believed that. But I knew that Miami was going to be the difficult individual matchup for Milwaukee. You get into the bubble and something felt weird. The defensive intensity that was there for the, what, 60 games that they played in the regular season, it was lacking. It didn't feel it was all the way there. Um, Giannis was being officiated weird. Like, he couldn't step on the floor. If he had the ball in his hands, he was just, it was a foul. Like, he couldn't drive without getting called for a foul. It was weird. Like, they were cracking down on something that was never really there. And so that kind of, I guess, kills a little bit of uh, offensive rhythm. And it can kill confidence, I guess, even. I don't really know that Giannis is too much affected by that, but his ability to actually get going in a game is hindered because he's on the bench because he can't stop committing fouls. Then you get into the playoffs, and the Orlando series was weird. That's another game. Like, Orlando doesn't win game one in Pfizer, right? By the time you get to the Miami series, that aforementioned defensive identity wasn't just lacking. It was gone. I mean, it was flat-out gone. And you look at guys like, I know people, when they speak comparatively, they, they always talk about this Miami Heat team and the 2004 Detroit Pistons. I don't really take too much exception to that because I understand the comparison. I think it's really fun, like, Goran Dragic is having this, like, coming out party where people are realizing, like, he's still good. Like, I, do, I feel like people just haven't really, and I guess I'm included in that, where I've always known that Goran Dragic was, like, that guy. But when he can play these crucial minutes and hit these crucial shots still it it genuinely blows me away so I guess I'm guilty of sleeping on him a little bit too but I always you know at least at the very least I knew he was a legitimate guard I think he's a way better scorer than he is at anything else uh Duncan Robinson a guy who statistically was like the best catch and shoot player in modern basketball like ever uh Jay Crowder who hit all of the threes in this series, all of the three-pointers, all of them, every single one. I think he only ended up shooting like 40%, felt like 90. If it went up, it went in. That's Put it on a t-shirt for Jay Crowder because that's actually kind of sweet. Bam was bam. The one mismatch, I guess, that the Bucks just didn't ever want to take advantage of, I guess, except for like twice, was whenever Myers Leonard was on Brooke Lopez. And I think back to two possessions in a row, Brooke on the left baseline hits a hook shot and then a fall away. And they just never went. They couldn't even give him an entry pass the rest of the game. I believe that was game three. So you give all the credit in the world to Miami and especially to Spolstra, who's, I mean, what, a top five coach in the NBA. Some would argue top three, but a top five, no doubt. People are going to put Pop up there. People are going to put Brad Stevens in there. Like, it's just going to depend on who you ask. But I think we're all going to agree, as far as X's and O's coaches go, Spolstra is top five. He's one of the best in the NBA. So I'm not trying to discredit Miami at all. And even Jimmy, who I don't really want to talk about Jimmy Butler. I'm still not ready to do that yet. But one of the biggest things I think that people were mad at me for, one of the biggest things that, listen, if you are a fan of a team, good or bad, when things are going right or when things are going wrong, what you should try to do is analyze why that is happening. And it's arguably more important to focus on it when things are going wrong. As things mainly did in this series. Why were things going wrong? One of the reasons, obviously, Mike Budenholzer didn't help in any sense of the word. A big reason from what I felt, what I saw, 
was Giannis and Chris's failure to hit shots when it mattered most. Hitting shots when it, like momentum, a massive momentum shift was on the line. They weren't there for that. Game three, Giannis puts up, I believe, six of the most disgusting three-pointers I've ever seen in my life. I know he can hit them. I remember the Lakers game just as well as you guys do when he hit, I believe, five of them. I know it's in him. But when that's part of Miami's defensive strategy, you can't fall for that. You just can't. I know maybe you feel the pressure a little bit, like you need to be the one to deliver for your team. I promise you, there are about nine other guys that I would rather have take those shots. And you're right, they're not going to be as open as Giannis. I know some of you guys are going to be thinking that. Make it happen. It's okay to, to defer to somebody else when it's not an optimal shot. And at some point, you have to realize that it's not. And that was disappointing. As far as Chris goes, Game 4 was... I got nothing against him there. The, game 4, Chris Middleton against Miami... Back against the wall, which, by the way, was admittedly sparked by Giannis's performance in the first... I don't really want to say first half because it was really just the first quarter and then he, he, he retweaked the ankle early in the second, but starts the game, what, like 8-10 with 19? Something ridiculous from the field. Only guy from Milwaukee that actually seemed like he wanted to be, he wanted to be there in that moment to start that game. Felt like back against the wall, they got they had nothing in the tank. Even Mike's, uh, Even Coach Bud's body language was terrible right but Giannis plays about as perfect of a game as you can and you're slowly starting to and they're still down by the way because he starts the game eight of ten the team's like two of nine or something something egregious you slowly starting to see that energy kind of trickle down just a little bit and it was really encouraging and then when he goes out Chris Middleton decides I need to play really good basketball. And then in the third quarter, he had, I don't even remember at this point. It was like 23. Chris Milton explodes in that third quarter. And I don't, this is, I don't know if I already said this yet. The thing that I respected most about it was that nobody was making it easy for him. Budenholzer included. These shots were difficult. The second he puts the ball on the floor, He's doubled. He's got a hand in his face. The closeouts were impeccable. And Chris, God bless him, finally after months of us defending him and him just kind of crapping out in the bubble for the most part, making us all look bad, finally showed us on a brief display, a one-game display of why we love him so much and why he deserved to get paid. He was exceptional. He truly was. For one game, when it was like, okay, you get in after that, you're like, all right, cool, like, not getting swept, feel pretty good about that. I, you know, that feels really good. Then you get into game five, and I guess, I guess before before game five, I want to mention this. I know Chris hit those free throws at the end of game two, um, to tie the game, right before the Jimmy foul. And those were clutch, no doubt. He didn't deserve them, right? Like you could, if you think it was a foul, more power to you. God bless you. I don't think it was. I understand why it was called. I see it. I don't think it was a foul. Just as much as I don't think Giannis's left hand grazing Jimmy Butler's back constitutes a foul, 
And to me, even make that call, you feel cheated. You feel it's just you feel so bitter. And you wonder what happens to the series. I get it was a makeup call. I'm not mad that it was a makeup call because those happen in every game. Probably happened on three or four occasions in that same game. Make it an overtime because that's where it was heading, right? Really just that. I'm still bitter about that. You wonder where the series goes, even if Milwaukee's even, which I should also add, they had no business being in that game at all. That was a terrible game, a terrible display on both ends of the floor. Their identity on both ends, again, was completely gone. It wasn't just lacking. It was missing. I almost said MIA, but the pun there would have been really stupid. So ultimately, for the third time in Mike Budenholzer's career, you flame out in the playoffs. And, like, all you've done is validate the people who didn't believe in you before. All you've done is shown that, like, yeah, there's really not a reason to believe in Milwaukee because when it matters most, they're just going to try to play the same brand of basketball. And believe it or not, spoiler alert, that doesn't work. You have to make adjustments. You can't afford to play uh, late in the game Corver, Connaughton, and Dante. You can't put them on the four in the fourth quarter. You they cannot be on the floor at the same time. It just can't. Wesley Matthews has to close games in a series where he's really the only one who's been equipped to deal with Jimmy Butler defensively. But Wesley Matthews sat, and Corver and Dante and Connaughton, Connaughton especially, got all of the minutes in the world. It was infuriating. It was devastating to watch it happen. Offensively, it's like Giannis can't get through the wall. I have no idea what to do. I got nothing. I really don't know. Brooke Lopez, uh, send him out to the wing. Just just put him in the corner, right? Let him sit on the perimeter, and if Giannis can't figure out what to do, he'll give him the ball. And it was pissing me off because I'm not advocating for post-ups on every single possession, but I think I mentioned this earlier. One entry pass. One would have been nice. Brooke can play at the rim, I promise. And I know you don't always want him going toe-to-toe with Bam, but there are mismatches that you can take advantage of. And it was really annoying. I'm 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 perpetually annoyed. The the guard play was also bad. Really bad. And I know Bucks fans were getting on Bledsoe so much. So so much. But the one thing I will say about him, the one I honest to God believe this on any given night. I don't care what Eric Bledsoe's line looks like. He could be O of a hundred. Like the dude is trying. He's not just going through the motions. I know it didn't show with him at all times, the way you look at Game 4 Chris or first quarter Giannis in that Game 4. But, like, Bledsoe at any given minute is really trying his heart out. And I the effort is it's never in question with him. And that's what I appreciate with him. I respect that with him. I don't know if I – I mean, I'm not going to say that nobody else tries, but I really admire that about Bledsoe. But the guard play, other than that, was terrible. And I was an advocate of, hey, if Connaughton's going to be on the floor, like, don't do that. Just play Dante instead because I know he's been bad in the bubble, but, like, he's got to get good eventually, right? He's not going to do that on the bench. And then Dante would come in and he'd do, like, one good thing and then one questionable thing and then three bad things. And it was on a never-ending loop of that, right? And that wasn't really fun. Didn't really care for that. Broke my heart a little bit because I'm a big Dante guy. I think you guys know that. So now we've arrived at a point the Milwaukee Bucks are out. And I, it's, it obviously breaks my heart. Um, 
you know, Mike Budenholzer just being like, yeah, you know what? Those Coach of the Year awards, those are nice. Those are great. You know what I like more? I really like vacationing. The Hamptons, Cancun, like really nice this time of year. No, but in all seriousness, um, we've we've gotten to a point where it's like Fire Budenholzer is just sort of the thing now. But some Bucks fans very quickly got over that and quickly forgot how not mad they were after Game Three. Because when I mentioned something about this the other day, people were like, "Wow, he's only been the coach for two years, and he's been a coach since 1996." At some point, you're gonna figure out how to be a good basketball coach. And you know what the most baffling thing is? He was, you know, he hasn't been a head coach forever. He's only been a head coach since 2013. But before that, he was under Popovich. You would think at some point he would understand what it takes. In the playoffs. And it's baffling to me that nobody. Darvin Ham, Nobody mentioned him. Tap him on the shoulder and be like. I think we should do something different. I think I think maybe we should figure something out. These pick and rolls that we keep getting thrown at us. Defensively with Jimmy Butler and Bam. Stop going over them. Because th- then Jimmy just gets the edge every single time. And it's going to be a basket. If it's not from Jimmy. It's going to be from Bam. Or it's going to be from Duncan Robinson on the wing. Who. I like statistically it was like the best catch and shoot guy ever ever in basketball this year. Jay Crowder hit all of the threes, every single one. Thought he was shooting like 90%, only shot like 40, but if it went up, it went in. Put that on a t-shirt cuz that's kind of a cool idea. So again, I and credit to Miami, but this was bad. And the whole, you know, what if they fire Bud, which they're not doing, but God willing, if they do eventually, right? I just don't know. Here's my thing. I don't know how you feel comfortable going into what could very well be Giannis's last year with Milwaukee with Mike Budenholzer running the show. And as a guy, as an individual, as a man, I love Bud. I think he's a great dude. I love hearing him talk, but the guy can't coach in the playoffs. And at some point you got to look at it like, I don't know who it's going to be, but there's got to be someone. Maybe it is Darvin Ham, because if they fire Bud, that's probably who it's going to be. But there's got to be somebody out there that knows how to figure this out. Maybe it's like Stan Van Gundy. I, I don't know, because he's a great coach. He just shouldn't run a basketball team from a Pistons fan. So the noise around Milwaukee's loud right now, and obviously most of it, most of it comes from the Giannis stuff. You know, are they, what's going to happen with him? which I don't really want to talk about because there's nothing to talk about, but let's do it a little bit. Um, They're not going to trade him. There is not, a, and I tweeted this earlier, there's not a single trade package out there for Giannis. Any team, pull up any team, there's not a trade package that both teams would agree on that would overvalue just running it back. There's nothing that's going to be better than Milwaukee just being like, nah, let's just... Let's just try for one more. It's like the Kawhi thing with Toronto where we were thinking like, well, what if they get to like the Eastern Conference Finals and Kawhi's like, we got a good team. I'll stay. And then they get to the finals and they're like, well, I'm sorry. Then they get to the Eastern Conference Finals. You're like, the Raptors are really good this year. Like, what if they get to the finals? Is that going to be enough? And they get to the finals and you're like, what if they win? That's got to be enough to, you know, stay. And then he didn't. I look at it almost in the same vein with it's I, I, it's kind of in the same paradigm as Giannis, just in the regard that you wonder how far they have to get, how well they have to do at this point 
for Giannis to stay because it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to leave. If it if free agency started today, I still believe that Giannis is going to stay in Milwaukee. But now that the, you know you're starting to see it a little bit. For those of you who are like are like me and you know like two months ago you were like I'm not even considering it. He's not leaving. Now I get it a hundred like I you see the possibility becoming uh, more and more real. I wonder if you're Budenholzer, like, what pressure is there? Obviously, your your main objective is to win a championship, no doubt. But I hope I'm making some sense here because if I'm a Bucks fan and we flame out in the second round again, I don't feel as good about our chances where if you lose in the finals, you're like, okay, now he sees we can get there. Um, you know, something can happen. I should also add, I don't know if this is true. I just want to throw it out there in case it is. But if it's not true, take this with a grain of salt. I don't actually know. Budenholzer staying was apparently Giannis's not decision, but they consulted him about it. And Giannis was like, yes. So I don't know how true that. I don't know what validity there is to that. But I just want to throw that out there. Back to the original point, though. People were trying to give me trade proposals. For Giannis, and I'm like, Milwaukee would just rather run it back with this same team. I just don't see it. It's just never going to make any sense. So, before we get to this last thing here, um, I had asked you guys if uh, if you had any questions for me. I knew I was going to be recording this episode. Shoot me some questions, and let's talk about it. So, why don't we do that really quick? And I guess it'll also, I guess I'll save this question just for last. Um, they're all kind of the same. I'm reading them right now, and they're all kind of the same. Ryan, shout out to Ryan with the jersey swaps. How excited am I for Pat Connaughton in a Pistons jersey? You know, it'll probably happen. Um, yeah, you know what? All these questions are kind of the same. It's all just like, hey, Bucks look uninterested and lacked passion in the bubble. Do you think it would be better to try to acquire an elite basketball player or a Pat Bev slash Marcus Smart type of player? Where the game seems to excel when it comes to the mindset and drive. It's a lot of questions like that, which is a great question. Um, But it's a lot of just trade stuff. I guess we might as well just get into that now. And then the other question was something that I had mentioned I was going to address. It's Where is Chris Middleton at as a trade piece? Um, We can start there. Chris Middleton, um, it's really hard for me to imagine Milwaukee A moving the best player that Giannis has ever played with seems like he's really like intertwined with his teammates and that would be like a critical blow to morale and trust with Giannis that's the first thing and B it's difficult for me to imagine Milwaukee trading Middleton again the best player Giannis has ever played with except the all-star team you know what I mean um for someone who is better and that's I'm not that's not a value thing with Chris Middleton. I think he's worth everything. Well, for a second guy, but you know what I mean? Like you're not going to get like Middleton for I don't there's nobody that's going to be better. So unless it's for multiple assets, right? Um that are just these complementary guys. I just don't really it just doesn't make sense. Like if you for some I don't know, the money probably doesn't work. I know with Karis's new extension, what, 3 years, 52 and a half million. I don't really know how the money works, but like Chris for Karis Levert, like something in that vein, like that just doesn't, it maybe makes sense for Brooklyn. That sounds really fun for the Nets, but for Milwaukee, that just doesn't sound fun. 
so I think here's my thing just on all of the trade stuff I can I can generalize it pretty easily I think that yeah something needs to change and ideally it would have been the coach ideally it would have been Mike Budenholzer and we're not having this conversation anymore and I think top to bottom this roster is completely fine I genuinely do I know a lot of you guys want Sterling Brown gone another guy who has an individual all the love and respect for him in the world but as a ball player people just kind of turned on him really quick and I get why Pat Connaughton, people just flipped a switch on him, too. Um, I think you take calls on everybody. I, I, you know, And I'm not saying you have a fire sale. By no means am I doing that. Like, if Milwaukee next season, if they do decide to run it back on a one-to-one basis, like, this is their team again, I, I'm fine with that. I feel good about that. That's okay. This team won 60 games a year ago. They won, what, 57 this year if it was a quote-unquote regular season. Uh, they were once on pace to win 70, and they would have won 60 again. Uh, what's the problem here? I'm not worried about the Bucks in the regular season. They're going to be really good. They're going to be a really fun basketball team. It's the playoffs, and I don't necessarily think the roster was a problem in the playoffs other than the inability to um, hit shots when it mattered most, and that's where I think a guy like Patrick Beverly or a guy like Marcus Smart, like those energizers – uh, those morale guys, those defensive-minded players, um, not that Giannis and Chris aren't, but those guys who, like, the scrappy guys, I think that's what I mean. That's what I'm going for there. Um, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. An enforcer, is that what people are calling it now? Like the Marcus Morris of, the, you know what I mean? Like, does Milwaukee really have one of those? Not really. Like, Giannis is kind of that guy sometimes. But, like, no, not really. So you look at the trade market, and I know a lot of people want Chris Paul. I don't know that you get Chris Paul without decimating your roster in a way that is counterproductive or even counterintuitive to where it's like once your subs come in, I'm worried. Like you're, you don't want to kill your depth because that's what Milwaukee has going for them right now. You know, so that, that concerns me a little bit. And then, look, look I'm not trying to be the guy that's like – Chris Paul's old. He has a bad contract. Don't do it. That like we were proven wrong with that this year. So that's not what I'm doing. But there is a point where you do look at his age and you do look at his contract and you say, how many more years of this are we really getting? You know, like that drop off, that decline is going to happen at some point. And whether it's going to be rapid or steep, we have no idea. But do you really, like, the the pin on the grenade could have already been pulled. Do you want that thrown to you next? Is that really what you want to do? If it, it depends on what you're giving up. And what I'm getting at here is you have to be really cautious. Because I know some people are throwing out, like, give up Dante and Brooke. And I don't remember what trade proposal I saw other than Dante and Brooke being in there. And right, stop. Full stop right there. No, you can't do that. Unless you're playing Giannis at five which would be interesting, or Robin, but that would be dumb. You really, it's a, it's going to be a really meticulous process. Um, I, I admittedly don't know what Milwaukee's pick situation is looking like, but I don't think the Thunder are going to be that interested considering Sam Presti has, like, the greatest treasure trove that's ever been invented when they got, like, 40 picks between uh, the Westbrook trade and the, um, the Paul George trade. So I don't think there's going to be that much interest there. It just concerns me that Milwaukee may give up too much and it may be stupid and that it may not work out. Um, but I think that Chris is – I mean, I, we thought he was going to be done this year. 
right? We didn't think he was going to be who he was and help Oklahoma City get into the playoffs. Let's, for all intents and purposes, assume that Chris Paul returns to his form that he was in this season, right? Um, where does that take Milwaukee if they have a similar roster, one that, you know, isn't completely blown up? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to imagine them not getting through the East, but we thought that this year, too. You can really only say so much. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of it was the guard play, so that would be a tremendous boost, right? It concerns me, though. And as far as actual trade targets go, other than Chris Paul, I got nothing for you right now. We're really going to have to see what happens, but but something does. And again, I, I thought it should have been the coach. Um, maybe they'll go back on their word and something will happen. Who knows? But until then, um, I think I got everything out. That should be most of it. Maybe I'll have to do a part two on this if I forgot anything. If you made it this far, folks, I know a little bit longer episode of Shoot the J. If you made it this far, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very much for listening. Um, rip to the Milwaukee Bucks. My heart is completely shattered. Uh, thank you very much for listening, you guys. I will catch you all in the next one.